Good afternoon and welcome to the Wood Couture podcast. My name is Glenn Husky. I'm the CEO and partner at Wood Couture. Today, I have the absolute pleasure and privilege to welcome Stephanie Smith, Executive Director, Luxury Brands from Accor to our podcast. Stephanie, welcome. It's awesome to see you again. It's been a long time, but you know it's great to see your face. You're looking really well today and Thank you very much for joining us. It's an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. And it's great to see you as always, Glenn. It's been too long. I wish we were closer. Yeah, time flies, eh? And, and look, life moves on and people move on and things are great here now in the UK and I'm, life is good. So uh, I can't complain. So Stephanie, look, let, let's dive straight into some of the questions. Um, now, I've known you for a long time. We've worked very closely together. I, I love working with you. I loved your passion. I loved your outlook on life. Um, and I, I just thoroughly enjoyed being around you as, as part of our team. A couple of questions for you. And, I, and I'm going to start with you and, and, and your background, your family, and, and where it all began. So if you can just give us a bit of a, a brief background into, into Stephanie Smith and, and where it all started. Well, sure. Absolutely. That's it's great. Well, when I reflect back, I actually um, started as an interior designer and it happened to fall upon me uh, when I went to a, a university in Toronto back in the late 80s, thinking that I wanted to do fashion design or fashion merchandising. And there were some, I'll say, design boards sitting on the floor and they went through the whole presentation of you know, how interior design was created. And I simply went, that's what I want to do. It, was, it wasn't that there was anything other than I was trying to search coming out of high school. What did I want to do? I knew I wanted to be in a creative field. I had applied to do graphic uh, design and had been accepted. But that's really how it started. And then I was fortunate enough to get employed with Frank Nicholson's daughter, Pam Nicholson. Frank was probably one of the top designers back in the late 80s, early 90s for hospitality. And I was hired to do the design work for the renovation of the Fairmont Royal York. And I simply, it was the two of us in the company. So I had a lot of upfront exposure and responsibility and kind of got bit by the hospitality bug and my career went from there. So, you know, my grandfather was one of the first I'll say owners of Canadian Tire. And so I wanna say there's entrepreneurial spirit within the family. My dad, um, you know, my parents are in their late seventies and they're building another home. My dad just built one three years ago. They're living in a pop-up trailer. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> I, I, I just go, okay, whatever. If you guys are happy, you know, and he's always looking at design stuff. What do you think about this? Does this work? So I think we have it in the family. It was just nobody actually knew what to call it at, at the time. So Right, yeah. No, it, so it sounds like your father's been a massive influence in your life and, and really sort of shaped your thinking and, and that creativity. So one, one of the questions I was actually going to ask, Steph, is you know, now apart from your father, who else? You, know, you mentioned Frank, but who else has been, I, I guess, that sort of inspirational figure that, that person that you've looked up to and, and you, you've taken as a bit of an idol and has influenced the way you think and, and the way you work and the way you run your projects. Is there anybody other than Frank or your father that you can 
sort of pinpoint in, in your career? No, there's been several times throughout my career that I can say they've actually influenced where I've gone. I mean, I worked with a project manager named Ian Kenny and started designing when I was in my early 20s. And, you know, that gentleman taught me accountability. You certainly didn't show up to a meeting not knowing what your role was or what the expectation was, or you just simply got called out. <laughs> so I learned early on, you know, take ownership, be responsible. If you make a mistake, say I made a mistake because then everybody can make the decisions on how to, you know, resolve it. There's never really a mistake, I want to say, in this industry. You know, there might be a hiccup, but you can always no. fix it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're always fixable. I think that's something that we always learned in when I, when I was coming through my career. You know, everyone makes mistakes. You certainly learn by your mistakes, and I've made a lot in, in, in my career. But, you know, mistakes are always fixable. And, and actually, quite often, some of the best results come out of the biggest mistakes, you know, and um, they're not mistakes. They're just little bumps in the road that steer you on a different path and, and give you other ideas and, and different creative directions. So, yeah, and no, I agree. Yeah, it's like I have a running tally, so I know what I'm looking for, you know, because I've done it in the past, you know. That's sort of the, I'll say, the mentoring side of things as you're moving through your career that younger people maybe haven't experienced it. You've right. sort of made that mistake. I could think of a couple right off the top of my head. Paints have finishes. At the age of 21, didn't put a finish down. So the contractor painted every door in a flat finish. <laughs> so that was number one. And number two was uh, when I put Fairmont uh, gold into Banff Springs. You know, when you're looking at a door elevation, if you're gonna put a veneer on it, make sure you want a style and rail. It's the arrows uh, for wood, wood grain direction. And we got a flat veneer and all the veneer ran up the door and the designer had a meltdown. So there's two for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, they've all they've all been made. Yeah, one of the things I enjoyed working when I was working with you was your sort of ability to sit and listen, um, build your own judgment, and then be assertive in in your thoughts and, and your direction. And you know, you've you've got a few people in the team now around you uh, at, at a core. How how are you building your experience into working with the likes of Sheldon and and the other guys around you in a core? I'm, I think it's kind of interesting that you pick up on that I'm the quiet one at the table. I still am the quiet one. I um, I certainly sit back and listen, and I don't think I'm ever going to change because I don't think there's any right perspective when you're listening. Um, and it's the people that jump in and maybe don't allow the owner or someone else on the team to get heard. And I, I like to come back after hearing everybody's opinion on whatever we're discussing and just give a different perspective or say, I think I'm hearing this and maybe you're saying mm -hmm. that. I mean, I was at a meeting one time and we were 10 o'clock at night because we had to get the design all approved. And ultimately I ended up standing up and just saying, I believe that you're saying the same thing just differently. Like that actually worked. So um, we got approval for, you know, I think it was $10 million and the, pr the project went ahead. And it was just simply because people weren't recognizing that they were just saying the same thing 
in two different fashions. So, you know, when I look at Sheldon, who's on the team, I mean, I love Sheldon and um, I I would say that I've embraced his youthful outlook. Um, I've been doing design for a, a long time and I think he makes me better, you know, so I can, I can share the experiences I've had over the years. Like he'll call and say, Steph, this is going on. What do you think? I can sort of guide him on that. But the positive that he's brought to me is um, there's different ways of doing design. And I think in the end, we're actually a fabulous team and work really well together. You know, I, I don't want any of the Accor brands to appear stale and between the two of us, maybe I bring the more practical side and he brings the, the side that dreams a little, um, but it really works in the end. I think we get a better product for everybody. No, I, I completely agree. And, it, and I don't wanna sort of move too far away from our conversation, but yeah. looking and, and working with both you and Sheldon, it's a great marriage of, of wisdom and, and youth and, you know, that, that creative meld and, you know, you, you could really see that that was going to be a successful, successful partnership and, and a mentorship as well. And, you know, it's great, it's great to hear that, that Sheldon's coming on and, and you guys are still continuing to work so well together. It's brilliant. And, and, and a core will only benefit from that, you know, two very talented people. So m- moving on, and we, we, we spoke a little about um, some of the, the failures, but thinking about some of the, you know, really great achievements what what really gets your creative juices flowing and 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 really has allowed you to deliver some of the i mean some really iconic projects i mean royal york you you've been around twice um most recently with with rockwell and we'll we'll talk about that in in a second but you know to, to to refurbish a building like the royal york twice in in a career is phenomenal so tell me Tell me what really gets you going and really gets that under your skin to, to really be passionate about the design and, you know, bringing new ideas and creativity into the, into the design brief when you're, when you're working with people like Rockwell and the owners of the Royal York. To be honest, I think the one thing that really gets me going is somebody telling me I can't do something. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never do it. I'm like, you know what? Watch me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Rockwell, it was an interesting time. I mean, I had gone on the ownership side, I'll say for the renovation of Shadow Frontenac, which was really the start of the, I'll say the best part of my career because we had control over um, sort of the project management, the design vision, you know, we were married with the brand. Of course, we want the best for everybody because it's sort of like a tripod. There's, you know, operations, there's the brand, and then there's the owner. So everybody has to be in sync or the chair falls over. Right. So um, I think my biggest and most exciting project, aside from the Royal York, because that's most recent, was the transformation for the Paramount Shadow Frontenac and really bringing to life what Fairmont is today. And that was sort of moving the brand forward, you know, with Eileen Slora's blessing, um, pushing boundaries. I mean, I remember standing in the lobby and 
the GM was having a complete and utter meltdown over the fact that we were going to paint the you know, non-heritage ceiling blue. And he was just holding his head going, no. And I'm like, paint it. <laughs> and it's probably one of the best decisions that Rockwell ever made or recommendations, I guess. And what a statement. And it allowed everybody from an ownership and a brand perspective to have um, a place where you could go and say, this is what we can do. So you have great designers, you have you know, owners who believe in the team that's running it and everything, everything fell into place there. And then from that perspective, we, it was the same owner. We moved over to the Fairmont Queen Elizabeth in Montreal. That hotel actually got shut. So we did a top to bottom repositioning of that property. Again, big transformation, much more aligned with what the 70s architecture uh, with a company called Sidley. So again, forward thinking designers. And then ultimately, I mean, the Royal York will always have a special place in, in my life. I started there. I hope to finish there. I don't know if I'll ever see a third renovation, but who knows? You never know, yeah. And, and that one, I think, really pushed the brand center stage. And it set the bar for what Fairmont Gold is globally. Yeah. It was a nice marriage between a heritage building and a, an interior that has modernity. It's, it appeals to young and older people. You know, Fairmont just doesn't want to have well, people that are 50, 60, 70, 80 going. They want to appeal to the younger generation. And, you know, before COVID, you couldn't even get a place to sit in, in the clockwork bar. So... Yeah, no, I think look, looking back on it and, you know, I, I can't take any credit at all, but look, looking back on what you guys did with that hotel, working with Edwin Frizzle, working with, with Greg and Rockwell and the team and, you know, a lot of love, passion and, and, and hard work went into repositioning that. And I, and I think ultimately you really did now timeless, elegant luxury. Um, for, for such a beautiful old building. And um, no, it was a tremendous success. And I think, you know, you, you should be very proud of that achievement, Steph. You, you did a fantastic oh, job. And uh, I think let's hope you can get to go around a third time. It'd be awesome. You know, if you could uh, do that before the end of your career, you've still got plenty of time. There's still plenty of energy in you, I'm sure. You know, you, you never know. It could come around again. That'd be awesome. It would, I, I would really, you wait. We haven't unveiled the library bar the small boutique, okay. so that's coming. It's it's done and ready to go. So, was there was there? We're going to digress here slightly, but was there any um, more thought around the rooftop um, and, and putting anything up on those roof terraces, or it's just not going to not going to work? No, I, I haven't heard anything right now. We've got the honeybees in the private garden up there, right? So, no, I haven't heard anything about that recently. But I've been up there once when Carl retired <laughs> and it's spectacular. I mean, the views and if you could yeah. make it a venue. Yeah, that, that, that's what made me think of it. I remember Carl's retirement. I, I remember flying in and meeting with you and Eileen and Carl and his family and you know, standing on that rooftop overlooking downtown Toronto was, was mm -hmm. pretty impressive. It's a, it's a great space. So 
you know, maybe that's an opportunity for the future. We can uh, let, let's park that one and we'll, we'll come back to it in a few okay. years. Time. <laughs> so, um, Steph, you've worked for yourself. You know, you had your your own company, um, Element. Uh, so you've worked on both sides of the track. You've worked for the big corporates. You've worked for yourself. What what do you think the, the main differences are, the, the biggest challenges are, and the sort of pro, pros and cons for working on both sides of the track? Well, corporately, I mean, I love my job. I think it's most rewarding when you see the project finished. You know, when I was designing for myself, um, I was fortunate enough that some of the owners of Fairmont at the time um, embraced me and understood and trust me. So back in, well, it was 2000 and 10, 11, and 12 that I worked for myself again. That was the most recent before I took the leap to go on the ownership side. Um, you know, there, not every owner has endless amounts of money. And I think having the history and the training that I do, you have the ability to understand how to spend the money right. It's not like you can just go out and design this beautiful space, you also have to be able to afford it for the owner and the brand and make sure that it meets everybody's expectations at the end. So, you know, I'll just talk about fabrics. You know, spending $35 on an upholstery fabric, but then picking maybe a $100 fabric for the accent cushions, you have to know where to put the jewelry and I'll say the sparkle and the things that matter that everybody picks up on in the in the design. I mean, I'll take you back in history a bit, but things have completely changed design-wise from when I started. You know, all, and, I, and I'll just say this, I don't think a lot of people realize I sold carpet for a number of years. So I have a lot of training when it comes to that. Plus my husband, he was in the industry as well. That's actually where we met. So if you think about how carpets were designed and I have a passion for it. Um, we actually had to draw the pattern, paint it, take yarn, the color you wanted them to match, tape it on, and then they would come back with a hand rendered, um, you know, if it was an area rug, it was usually 11 by 17 and they painted the whole thing and it showed you exactly what you were going to get. I mean, now everything's computer generated. I mean, I, you know, when I look at what you're doing now, I mean, we, we used to have to draw our own furniture if right. we wanted to custom design anything. And I think that art is disappearing. So reflecting on, or, you know, looking to companies like yourself where people pull a picture off the internet and go, I want this chair, but they don't understand all the scale proportion ergonomics. Um, this is where, I always felt, you know, even when I was working for other designers, um, you guys are a resource. You know, I know designers when I sold carpet, no, you can't have the project name. No, I can't give you any information. I actually took a different approach and embraced everyone because I kind of chuckle. I say, I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> you don't do what you do every day. So, I, I like the ability to pick up the phone and say, um, I have a project. I have, you know, $500 for a chair. 
that's kind of the line item budget that I'm trying to target. If I send you a couple pictures, you know, can you give me an idea whether I could afford it? Um, how could we bring it in on budget before I even went to an owner and presented it? I already knew and had, I'll say, you know, high level quotes. So I knew what I could deliver when I, when I was designing. It's interesting that you say about my, my jump into FF and E manufacturing. And like you say, I, I know enough to be dangerous, but <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to work with uh, people like Paolo, who's been manufacturing furniture for 30 years. So I'm on a real learning curve at the moment myself. You know, I'm, you know, I've been around the industry long enough, to, as you say, to be dangerous, but the, the intricacies of FF and E manufacturing, especially when it comes to the, the bespoke, the real bespoke manufacturing is, it's, it's a whole new ball game for me as well. So I'm, I'm learning and uh, learning fast. And, you know, these, these guys are good and we, we've got a great product that's coming through. So it's interesting. Um, you, you spoke earlier about the way, I guess, technology's changed from, from you hand drawing a carpet and, and matching yarns to colorways and then, then coming back. What, what's your biggest pet peeve in, in the industry now? And, you know, people keep going on about technology and technology is certainly advancing us every single day. I mean, look at us now. We're sitting on a podcast. Yeah. You're in Toronto. I'm in London. It's like having you in the same room. But what, 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 what still frustrates you? And where do you think sort of technology in our industry can, can move us? How, how can it help us move forward? And it's moving forward at a pace, but sometimes technology can be, I think, equally as frustrating as beneficial. So what's your thoughts around that? Well, this is where Sheldon is a great partner to me because he's up on all the, the latest technology. So, because <laughs> um, I'll be the first to admit I'm not. I, I think, you know, when Revit came in, in play um, up until, well, everybody I think was working on CAD. I mean, I was, I graduated school when CAD first started and I split the scene because I sure didn't want to take it. So I am not someone who does AutoCAD. I can get around on a screen, but I think you'd wait a long time for me to create a drawing. Um, but, you know, the one thing that we always realized is when MEP got placed into the architecture and the interior design, you know, Revit has the ability of showing everybody how everything falls into place and all of a sudden you've got this big duck that's in the middle of your room that nobody knew about and so I think from that perspective it's really helpful for everyone mm -hmm. um, I think there's a bit of a lost art with how interior design is run these days you know a lot of people use Pinterest and it's funny sitting in my role, you know, there'll be a light or there'll be a, a chair or something that every designer gravitates to because you start to see it repeat in presentations and the other designers don't see it at all. Yeah. I think technology has increased timelines a lot. I mean, there's no breathing room for designers anymore. You know, I think if I look back, we, we used to send things by mail or by courier. So you had like two or three days to actually gather your thoughts before something came back, then the facts came in and then email and now everything's instantaneous. Like people want an answer within what, a couple hours? <laughs> That's the way it feels anyway. 
So I think technology is good and bad. Um, I, I know technology is always going to move forward, but I think, you know, if I go back to the carpet or the, the, the manufacturing side of things, um, that's where we're not, we could do better. You know, I, I think we now do model rooms in six months. All right. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't really know. I'm sorry. I don't have that answer for you, Glenn. No, it's, look, it's, it's an interesting question. And, and, and some of the, some of the stuff that we're doing at Wood Couture, we're, we're working now on 3d models and 3d renders, and we're really trying to bring the timeline that you mentioned forward. So we can, we can design out a lot of right. frustrations or a lot of ergonomics that, you might not understand until a real prototype is made. Mm -hmm. So being able to do that in real time, being able to do that in a 3D model and sit with people like yourselves and the interior designers and an owner and say, is this what you want? This is what it's going to look like. You know, we can really test it in, in real time and, and save some time um, in, in the production process. Um, but, I, but, but there are other technologies out there that I think you know, do slow the process down. And, and I think you're absolutely spot on in people don't have the time for creativity anymore. And I think that it's interesting that you've mentioned that because I think if I can say on your behalf, that's probably one of your biggest pet peeves. And I, I know it was one of mine and still is one of mine. You, you don't get that opportunity to actually just sit back and think about a solution and think about options and, and different solutions. And give yourself that breathing space because technology you, you wake up in the morning you've got 300 emails and you and you've got to reply to 150 of them by lunchtime yeah i was gonna say i think that you offering three-dimensional views of seating is fabulous because i mean i've done enough shop drawings in my career that i know what i'm looking for scale proportion you know but, give a dimension at the bottom of the leg. Like if you want the leg to taper, get your tape measure out and say, okay, I want it to start at two and a half and I want it to end at three quarter. And yeah. you guys will, you know, that all that information should go on a, on a line drawing behind a spec. But I find, you know, when I see, let's say a mock-up room, um, young designers, you know, they check the dimensions because they pulled it from a website or, but they don't understand you know, how everything comes together and mm. curves and lines and how things can turn out boxy and flat. So I, I think it's perfect if you have the ability to sit with somebody and show them exactly what they've designed and then finesse it right. to achieve what they're really wanting. Boy, would that make a big difference. Something I wanted to ask you, Stephanie, you were nominated as a, a woman in, in leadership in, in NCA. Can you tell me a bit about that? Can you can you can you tell me how that come about? What the award was about, and you know what it what it meant to you? Well, it meant the world to me because I've I've spent most of my career in hotels, and up until recently, there weren't a lot of women who were given the responsibility that I was. So to be recognized not only for I'll say my the history of my career, but also through a core because a core, you know, supports women leaders, um, which is fabulous. Yeah. I, uh, I was invited to go speak in California on um, 
on a panel and they had a bunch of different questions ranging you know from how we looked at Fairmont to delivering hotels and I think I think it was really rewarding for me to get the recognition after all these years because um, I really do try and get up every morning to make the best of the day knowing that everybody wants to to do the right thing in the end yeah and you know I know that every project doesn't go along smoothly and but in the end you know y'all end up having a big hug and it feels good. It feels good when you deliver. Maybe not in the heat of it, but I, I, I think I think I'm the best kept secret in Toronto, to be honest. No, nobody realizes that there's an Accor office and how much influence someone in my role has on a project. So to just have the I'll say the publication as someone who influences, it meant a lot to me. No, you, you should be extremely proud. And I know I was extremely proud when I heard the good news and I saw that online and, you know, through LinkedIn and through various social media platforms, you should be extremely proud. And I've always said to you, you're, you're a pocket rocket, Steph. And um, I think you don't give yourself enough credit for, for how good you are. And um you know, you've had a fantastic career and it was very, very well deserved. Well, well done. Thank you. So just moving back to the industry and I guess themes around the industry right now, guest experience, you know, it's a massive buzzword at the moment, isn't it? And everyone's going on about guest experience and Instagram moments and social media and getting that selfie, getting that picture. It's vitally important. We know it sells. It it, it it sells a lifestyle. It sells a hotel. It it, it, it sells rooms. And, and ultimately, that's the business of hospitality that we're in. We're selling rooms. We're selling guest experiences. But but what does guest experience mean for you? And, and how do you bring guest experience to life through your influence on a project and your influence on design? Well, given that I have responsibility for a number of different brands, it's always embracing what the brand leader is, is looking to deliver and try and I'll say, I'll use your, your wording, keep the, the red thread globally for the guest. So if you're a diehard uh, Swiss hotel person, you're going to get a similar experience, whether you're in Dubai or you're in, I'll say Chicago, um, I really do take that seriously. It's not like I want to make the brand whatever I think it should be um, because people have expectations and they have high expectations. I mean, the whole industry has changed completely from, well, I'll say on many different directions. I mean, when I started, we had two people and you went and presented and you said scheme A or scheme B boys and they'd pick one and you were off to the races and that was it. But now we have, you know, asset managers, interior designers, you know, there's so many people that are involved in a hotel renovation, let alone branding. Um, you have to kind of take a step back, remember who, who the clientele is and really what is it that they wanna see in whichever location that you happen to be, to be building in. Um, 
you know, when, when all of the television shows came on about design, that really did set the benchmark really quite high for a lot of the luxury brands. You know, we used to try and deliver hotels that had experiences that you would not have in your home. Well, everybody has really high experiences, you know, especially that go to luxury and ultra luxury branded properties. So we're always trying to deliver something unexpected. Um, I'll say that a lot of the guest experience is brought to life past design. I mean, design, I'll be the first to say is subjective. What I like, someone else may not. Um, I try and really keep my personal taste out of it. It's what's best for the brand we're working on and, and the project. And, you know, the, the operations team, they're the ones that bring it to life after we deliver and they have, they interface with the guest. So that's a whole different layer that, you know, we're looking to deliver the best service and engagement and welcoming environment for, for our guests. Cool. Yeah, no, it, it, it really is so important to marry that guest expectation with value, with brand, with, with local experience. And um, I, I think, again, just going back over your career and looking at some of the properties that you, you've worked on over the years, you've always managed to to keep them uniquely local, um, but uniquely authentic and, and, and timeless as well. And you, you can see that through the different sort of phases of, of, of life of, of these hotels. So uh, yeah, very interesting. And I think ultimately guest experience really hasn't changed. I just think it's a bit more of a buzzword now, right? And, and I think, um, so. you know, brands, brands are so strong um, and that they give us so much direction. But, but ultimately, it's, it's about marrying what the guest really wants with, with the location and, and giving them the best, best experience they possibly can. Okay. Um, we, we, we've touched a little bit earlier on on, on carpets and, and, and finishes and, and, and technology and, you know, where the world is, is moving to now. Can you give us, or Couture, any advice, any guidance, any sort of future thoughts on where the industry is going, what interior designers are looking for um, from suppliers like, like Wood Couture? I mean, the biggest thing I, advice I could give you, Glenn, is offer, I don't know, lunch and learns. Get yourself in front of these younger designers and show them how you can help them. I think that would take an immense amount of pressure off myself. <laughs> That's the selfish side of that comment. Um, because again, you know, I can tell you the people that influenced my career and the, the gentleman's name is Carrie and he was in Toronto and he drew his shop drawings by hand. And I learned from him and he would take the time and explain it to me. You know, people I don't even think realize there's different foam densities. You know, they see a pretty picture. They don't know about construction on seats. They don't understand, you know, doweling and the 
the springs and, and all this stuff that, you know, gets put together to create this fabulous chair. I mean, however you guys manufacture it, but I'm um, just saying springs, but um, yeah. webinar and all that stuff. Um, I'm telling you, people need to learn enough to be dangerous. And that's the one component that's missing. And I mean, I saw a mock-up chair recently and, and it was like a throne. It was massive because the designers, again, didn't understand the, the scale and proportion of things. And it was helpful to, to take a second chair and just push it up beside it to say, I think this is more what you were looking for, but this is what you've signed off on. Right. I'm sure that you guys can make inroads with a lot of the, you know, creative, talented designers that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it's the people that do the work every day that write the specs that, you know, just need a bit of guidance. And I think you'd do a fabulous job because you'll bring many different aspects into this role that you have. And I, I think you'd do a, a really great, great job at it. <laughs> Cheers, Steph. So as we move on, where do you see yourself now? Um, you know, you, we, we spoke about your career and, you know, you've, you've been in the industry for a long time, but where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? You've got a growing family, you know, you, you've got the, the house in the countryside, you've got a lot of dogs. Where, where, where do you see yourself professionally and personally? Well, personally, my daughter got her driver's license two days ago. So I- Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, that took a lot of pressure off. So I think my kids are getting older. So as I, I'll say, look to the next 10 years, um, Selfishly, I want it to be about me. So I, I'm, I'm always challenged daily on projects. So I think I'm, I'm looking for not something new, but something that I can sink my teeth in. I, I'd have to say mentoring is a big thing that I think about a lot of the time. Um, so how I could do that, you know, with other teammates, I'll say, would be something I'd really like to embrace. Um, I kind of wish that I had the ability to influence some of the other teams globally, more so than what I do. Um, everybody, as you know, Glenn comes back to me for Fairmont. And I think that would be something I'd really like to to embrace. I don't know if I'll get the opportunity per se, but it's something I desire to do. Um, you know, and just keep pushing the boundaries. I mean, that's really what gets me up every day. Sheldon and I did, a, will say a podcast a couple months ago and the number of people that came back to the two of us, even individually, and said, we had no idea how much Fairmont had evolved. I'm gonna make my next stay at, at, at a Fairmont because of the stuff that we presented and spoke about. Um, that's the stuff that drives me. You know, I, I want the word out there that it's not the classic traditional brand that it once was. Um, so I'm just gonna keep pushing forward. 
Yeah, look, it's, it's great to see you're still so passionate about the Fairmont brand. You know, I, I share that, you know, it was my go-to brand as well, Steph. I, I, I loved it. I loved every moment working on Fairmont yeah. Hotels. They're, they're, the brand is special. It's got a special heritage, um, special people around the brand previously and, and now. Um, and, and long may it continue because... You know, it really is one of the most iconic brands out there. And uh, I, th I think you're right. And people don't truly understand what Fairmont is. And I think it does now. And with your input, it's transgressing generations. And, and it, you, you're really bringing it to, 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 to life, um, as it always has been. But, but I think it's starting to really come to life now. It's really resonating really well. So, again, congratulations. So we, we, we spoke a bit about Sheldon. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that you'd like to mentor a little more. Um, looking back to your 16, 17, 18 year old student self, when you had that light bulb moment that you wanted to become an interior designer, knowing everything that you know now, what would you tell yourself? What, what advice would you give yourself then? Hmm, that's, that's a trick question. I do have <laughs> a lot of people. It's, it's not I, meant to be a trick question. No, I'm just like, oh, I've never really thought about it. I mean, I do have a lot of um, young kids that come and they, they ask me about my career. Um, I kind of, I don't even, okay, I'm going to say it. You know, it's kind of like the starving artist's, you know, career and you start off and it's really tough. And I think my advice would be, well, I'd like to say I, I like to think I did it right because I worked for small firms where I gained a lot of experience early on in my career. And because if I, if I talk to students or even recent graduates, they get into larger firms, but then all they do is CAD all day long, or they write specifications all day long. I was fortunate enough through my career to work for, you know, and I'm going back, Carrie Busby. You know, she looked after all of the mountain region. I mean, I designed the, the properties um, before I ever came to the corporate side to look after the brand and the hotel from a different perspective. I had pretty much worked in almost every hotel across Canada through small firms. And this is back in the 90s, um, whether it was Heather Jones and Associates or it was Carrie Busby or it was Pam Nicholson. Um, that really afforded me the ability to see all sides of, I'll say the design. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I, I came to design for myself, which I think a lot of people wanted to do. Um, I knew how to write a spec because Pam was very specific about how you write a spec. Heather Jones, this is how you design carpet. And Stephanie, if you repeat it like that, you're going to get banding. Well, what's banding? Band, you know, visual banding. I mean, these people really took the time and again gave me the responsibility. Um, to, to do what I thought was right. And we kind of had one rule. 
if it doesn't work out, we love it and we'll take it up offside later on. It was always being supportive of each other as well. Um, so I think being open-minded, so now that I've talked this through for myself, <laughs> you know, being open-minded, you know, embracing the, the challenge of taking on something that maybe you're not feeling you're confident enough. I mean, I remember the first time Heather gave me a ballroom and it was down in Niagara-on-the-Lake for our, the client was CYLI and she's like, go design the ballroom and you stand there and you're like, the whole thing? <laughs> really? And show me when you're done. Okay, you know, do all the drawings, do the carpets, do it all. And it pushed me outside of my comfort zone, which to this day, I still use my stomach flutters, whatever you want to call it, that if somebody presents me something and I am a little nervous, you know what? It's probably the right thing to do to move the brand and the design work forward. Because if I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's great. It's not pushing boundaries. So um, I think take a chance. Yeah. That's probably what I'd tell myself. Yeah, I like that. No, I, I like that a lot. I think jumping into the deep end and learning to swim is is definitely the fastest way to learn. And again, we, we spoke about this earlier on, but you, you learn by your mistakes. And, you know, you learn so much when people give you trust, give you the opportunity to grow and deliver. And um, I think, yeah, uh, it's great. I think uh, I completely agree with, with everything you said. So that leads me on to my next question. And I think you might even be able to tie this back now. And this will be one of the last questions, Steph. If there was a billboard, Steph, anywhere in the world, where would it be and what would it say? I'm going to say that it's Paris. Nice. And I'm going to use, I think it's uh, Nike and it's just do it. Love it. Excellent. That would be it. Now, how I translate that to French, I'd have to ask one of my kids, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I think um, Paris having the ability to see you there so many times really resonated with me personally. And I think I grew career-wise. Um, again, it was opening my eyes and, you know, I'll even say you threw me in the deep end and I survived and I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the one thing that Accor has brought to my life is the ability to push the boundaries, like I said earlier, and just do what I think is best. And I like that. And I'm thankful for that, the trust. Cool. Love it. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, another good strap line. So that's two good strap lines you've given us today, but I'm not sure Nike will be too happy if we steal that one. But yeah. uh, we'll, give it, we'll give it a shot. So look, um, I think we, we're getting close to wrapping up. We've, we've been talking for, for nearly an hour. I've absolutely okay. loved it. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Steph. And, and thank you for your time. I'm getting hungry now. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm thinking a game for a bit of dinner. So ju just one last question. Where would you go for dinner tonight? And what do you want to eat? 
Well, it was my birthday yesterday, so. Oh, well, I, I didn't know that. Yesterday, so. Happy birthday. Thank you. I, I had the, the joy of doing that yesterday. I wanted to be near some water. I didn't, I wanted something quite casual. So I went to a small little place, downtown Guelph called the Boathouse, sat by the river, got to have high tea, which is one of my favorite things in life. And it was beautiful. It was sunny, 24 degrees. And my family, the kids and Adrian and I sat there and had a fabulous time. So. Sounds perfect. Well, happy birthday, Steph. If I'd have known, I'll I, I put that in my diary now because I, I, di I didn't have it. So I'll, I'll put that in my diary and I'll, I'll be sure to send you a birthday message next year. I'm not counting anymore, Glenn. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm getting to that stage too as well, Steph. It's, uh, it's actually my birthday tomorrow. So okay. I, I didn't, I didn't realise we were so close together. So uh Next year, we'll do a birthday podcast and we'll have a glass of wine or a couple of beers together. And, and I'm not going to forget because my best friend's birthday is tomorrow. So you know what? Ian Kenny, who I spoke about earlier, yeah, yeah. you and Susan are all tomorrow. So there you go. Three fabulous people all on the same day. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's very kind. All right, Steph. Well, look, lovely to see you. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your holidays. Thank you for taking the time out of your holidays to talk to us today. And um, I'm definitely going to come back to you with a few of those strap lines. And I'm definitely going to come back to you with some advice on how we can improve ourselves as manufacturers. So Steph, thank you. Take care and all the best. All right. Thank you.